Pera aí, vou. Era esse barulho que ele queria fazer. <risos> Pronto. Pronto? Pronto. I'm Juliana Cantarelli Vita. And I'm Skylar Weldon. This is Massa, a podcast about Brazilian music and culture. Juliana and I are musicians and music professors. In each episode, we dive into a specific genre, song, artist, or issue in Brazilian music to try to understand how it works and what it means. No messing around today, Skylar. <laughs> no promises. <laughs> we have a lot to get to, and the people want to hear Asa Branca. Hit it then. Okay, here's Luiz Gonzaga singing Asa Branca, which he wrote with Humberto Teixeira in I have no statistical basis for this, but in terms of importance and recognizability, that has to be one of the top four or five songs in the history of Brazilian popular music, right? Yeah, could be. I've heard it performed live dozens of times. All kids in music schools learn this on recorder. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. And in a forró de serra performance, that is a traditional forró performance with the classic trio of accordion, triangle, and the bass drum-like zabumba, you'll almost always hear it. In addition to being the song that cemented Luis Gonzaga as a star in the recording industry, Asa Branca also established a thematic template for forró, both in the tone and topics that forró musicians would return to over and over again. Specifically, it speaks to the story of migration that has touched generations of Brazilian Northeasterners and their children. So today, we're going to dive right into Asa Branca and examine its lyrics and musical features. Then, we'll listen to a few other songs that either follow this template or expand on it. Sounds good. Before we look at the lyrics, let's remind ourselves of some of the musical features we've highlighted in the, the last few episodes, many of which are on display here. Great. First, there is the ensemble. This has the instruments associated with Fajopa de Serra, namely accordion, triangle, and zabumba. As well as an acoustic guitar and a coquinho, which is a wooden version of the bell known as agogo that we've discussed before. It's called coquinho because it would have been made from coconut shells. <laughs> 
let's talk about the genre. Faha. Yes. But as we've noted, Faha is a big category that includes a number of subgenres such as Shochi, Shashadu, Ahashtape, and Bayon. Well, looking at the label of the original 78 RPM disc, right. we can see that this song is classified as a Toada. Uh, okay. Toada is a word that means basically tune. But it's used in the northeast of Brazil to describe what we might nowadays call a ballad. Something a little slower, often melancholy. Hmm. Doesn't seem that slow to me. No, not at all. And we're going to have to wait until we discuss the lyrics to get to the melancholy aspect. So if it's not really a toada in its musical aspects, what do we think about the genre? If we zero in on what the Zabumba player is doing... think it's pretty clear. Sounds like a bayon to me. Me too. We went into great depth about what characterizes a bayon in episode 12, so check that out if you haven't already. But to give the briefest recap, it's a duple meter dance rhythm. The zabumba plays a muted stroke on the first beat and an accented open stroke just before the second beat, creating an asymmetrical pattern that some would call syncopated. Here's Asa Branca again. Listen for that bayon pattern. It's worth noting that in 1947, when this song was written and first recorded, faha was a term used to describe a party, not a genre. Due to Luis Gonzaga's success with songs like this one, the bayon was the most popular dance rhythm played at these parties. So a lot of people used that term as the broader genre designation. Only some decades later did Faha come to take the place of bayon as the name of this genre. The shift in terminology has created some confusion over the years. If you read newspaper articles from the 1950s and 60s, artists might talk about playing bayon, but mean something different than what you and I are talking about here. Bayon in those days could include all of these rhythms. For clarity, we use forho as the broadest umbrella term, while bayon is the specific rhythm we're hearing today. In a little while, we'll share an example that confuses things again. We're nothing if not confusing here at Masa. <laughs> well, we're certainly not dumbing it down. That's that's true. Well, okay, back to Azabranca. For our purposes, I will say that this is a bayon. Sounds good to me. It also showcases an element of Northeastern music that we've highlighted quite a bit, the Mixolydian scale. Yes, it has that flattened seventh scale degree that distinguishes it from the major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, te, do. You can hear this very clearly in the introduction. Okay, so musically, this probably isn't too surprising given all that we know about Faha. Right. The ensemble is pretty much what we've come to expect. It uses the Bayon rhythm, which was the most popular Faha dance rhythm of the time. It has that Mixolydian scale. It seems pretty standard. But we have to keep in mind that Luis Gonzaga was in the process of establishing... Some would say inventing. Sure, inventing. Uh, he was in the process of inventing this tradition, so these things weren't totally standard yet. This song is part of the story of them becoming standard. 
And the lyrics are important in that regard as well. So let's break them down. The opening lyrics are Quando olhei a terra ardendo Igual fogueira de São João Eu perguntei a Deus do céu Ai, por que tamanha judiação? Which means, when I saw the earth burning Just like the bonfire of São João I asked God in heaven Why such punishment? It sounds like a nightmare. Totally. If you listen to episode 9 about the Festas Juninas, you might have already figured out the reference to the bonfire of São João. On the night of the 23rd of June, for the feast of St. John the Baptist, it's common to light bonfires in celebration. Here, though, that bonfire doesn't seem very celebratory. No, he's comparing it to the literal scorched earth of the interior of the Northeast, a geography called the Sertão, where droughts have historically threatened the survival of subsistence farmers. The structure of the verse, you may have noticed, is four short lines, the second and fourth of which rhyme. But then, the last two lines are repeated. That's a structure that seems to imply the participation of the audience or a small chorus who are cued by the lead singer. It's something that you encounter in oral traditions, this kind of call and response. It's the leader's responsibility to know the parts, and the crowd can jump in without having rehearsed. We've heard this a lot in our recent episodes. In episode 11 on Shashado, we heard Marinej do this with Rainha do Shashado. And in episodes 7 and 8, about Maracatu de Bakisoto, we also heard this structure. Se a morte vir me buscar, em vez de ter medo dela, primeiro eu pergunto a ela, quem foi que mandou chamar? E se ela me falar, foi Deus do céu verdadeiro. Se ela me falar, foi Deus do céu verdadeiro. The difference here is that Luiz Gonzaga doesn't have a chorus backing him up. He repeats the line all by himself. Quando a terra ardendo, qual de São João, eu perguntei a Deus do céu, ai, this might have to do with the limitations of the studio or be a choice that he made to adapt some traditional structures to a commercial setting. But it seems clear that it's a vestige of some of these northeastern musical characteristics. Absolutely. Let's check out the next stanza. Que braseiro que fornaia, nenhum pé de plantação. No quarta d'água, perdi meu gado, correu de sede meu alazão. No quarta d'água, perdi meu gado, correu de sede meu alazão. Que braseiro, que fornalha, nem um pé de plantação. Por falta d'água, perdi meu gado, morreu de sede meu alazão. What a novin, what a furnace, not a root left on the farm. 
For lack of water, I lost my cattle. My horse died of thirst. Wow. More drought caused misery. This kind of melancholy is probably why the song was classified as a toada, though I'm not sure if it was originally written as something slower or not. Um, so he's describing in unsparing detail the harsh realities of surviving in the sertão. Yeah, and another thing to note is that Gonzaga is singing with an accent that is pretty identifiable as Pernambucano. Pernambuco being the northeastern state where he was born. Indeed. In the 1940s, a lot of radio singers were using a sort of standard radio accent, so it seems notable that he was singing in a different way. So what are, what are the characteristics of that accent that we can listen for? First, you can hear how he pronounces the D in the word D. Which I, because I learned to speak Portuguese from people from Rio de Janeiro, would pronounce G. Yeah, but he also pronounced the word plantação as plantação, which some might interpret as a caricature of a poor rural person who transposes their R's and L's. Does it read as caricature to you? Not so much. Um, it's likely that his family spoke like this, but he may have adapted to a less regionally specific accent, especially after he moved to Rio in the late 1930s. Here it reads as more a Rio character from this milieu, but not a disrespectful one. So Northeasterners listening to this recording would hear it as someone really from there. I would say so. The next stanza is the one that gives the song its title and its central metaphor. He sings, Inta mesmo asa branca, bateu asas do sertão. Então se eu disse, adeus rosinha, guarda contigo meu coração. Even the white-winged dove beat its wings and flew away from the sertão. So I said, goodbye rosinha, keep with you my heart. The life is so difficult that even the asa branca, or white-winged dove, has flown away in search of something better. And he doesn't say it explicitly, but the protagonist has also left. But he has done so with lots of regret, and even left his heart with his love, Rosinha. Presumably, many, many people could relate to this story. I would say. It's notable that up to this point, the whole song is in the past tense. Yes, he seems to be singing it from afar, these events having preceded a migration that has already taken place. As we'll get to in a moment, millions of people migrated from this area, forced to seek better opportunities in the cities of the Brazilian southeast. Specifically, Rio de Janeiro and São Paulo. He's singing from the perspective of one of those migrants, expressing saudade, or nostalgic longing, for his homeland. Saudade is a topic that characterizes a lot of Brazilian music, and he makes this theme abundantly clear in the following stanza. Hoje longe muitas Hoje longe muitas léguas numa triste solidão espero a chuva cair de novo para mim voltar para o meu sertão Today from afar Many leagues away, in a sad solitude, I wait for the rain to fall again so I can return to my sertão. 
Here, the perspective pivots from the past to the future via the quick mention of today. Yes, saudade is very much about the past and the future. The past that you miss and the future possibility of getting back to it. The present is merely a moment to remember the past or wish for the future. And this future possibility is where the song finds hope. When the green of your eyes looks out across the fields, I ask you not to cry, because I'll be back, my love. He makes a promise to Rosinha that he will return. It's a sentiment that a lot of people felt, the desire to return to the Northeast one day. By putting it into the song, it transforms it from completely melancholic to hopeful. Things have been difficult, but they can get better. It helps explain why the song would be very popular. It allows the listener to experience the emotions associated with migration, but leave on a hopeful note. What I find interesting is the ways that he navigates some of the expectations of masculinity in expressing these emotions. How do you mean? Well... He talks about crying, but he's not the one crying. It's Hosinha. He's sort of projecting his emotions onto her. The feminine character is allowed to express sadness in this way, while the masculine character is saying, don't cry, don't worry, I'll be back. Hmm. Yeah, that reading certainly fits with some long-standing notions of machismo and gendered notions of comportment. For sure. So let's recap. With Asa Branca, we have the template for Fajó about stories of migration. We have a Northeasterner, a Sertão resident, who is driven to leave by droughts, encapsulated in the metaphor of a bird. There are loads of signifiers of Northeasterness, from the bonfires of São João, to the regional fauna, to Gonzaga's own accent. And this saudade for the past is met with the promise that the protagonist will one day return. The emotional character of this saudade is there, too if projected into the otherwise passive Rosinha. And the musical backdrop is also part of the template. Yes, we can hear the classic Forró Pelicerra Ensemble. We have the audible Bayon rhythm and the Mixolydian scale. And we also have some structural elements that carry over from other Northeastern poetry and dance musics. How about now we follow the migration pattern south towards Rio de Janeiro and listen to some songs that draw from and expand on this template? Sounds good. Let's start with the migration itself. There were many ways that people traveled south. For example, Luis Gonzaga was in the army and presumably traveled on military convoys. I would say, yeah. Now, there were also eventually bus and train routes, though the most heavily mythologized mode of transportation was a truck called Pau de Arara. And Arara is a kind of macaw, a colorful bird that used to be, still is, yeah. sold at the northeastern markets. The pau is the wooden stick that the macaw sits on in the cage in the market. The truck was called Pau de Arara because it was a large flatbed vehicle with handrails. People would load into the back in mass and hold onto these handrails. The image seemed similar enough to the macaw at the market that the trucks took on this name. In some cases, the term is also used as a pejorative descriptor of the migrants themselves. There are dozens of songs that describe this journey and this mode of transport, so let's just highlight one. Okay, 
Uh, this is the Pernambucano duo Venancio and Curumbá with their composition Último Pau de Arara. <laughs> Vida que só é ruim Quando não chove no chão Mas se chover dá de tudo A dura tem de porção Tomara que chova logo Tomara meu Deus, tomara Só deixo meu cariri No último pau de arara Só deixo meu cariri No último pau de arara The title of the song means The last pau de arara Unlike Asa Branca, this song is written from the perspective of someone who has not yet migrated. And that's somewhat ironic, given that Venancio and Curumba wrote and recorded the song in Rio de Janeiro. Indeed. The lyrics say, Life here is just bad when it doesn't rain on the ground. But if it rains, we have everything. Mountains of abundance. Hopefully it rains soon. I hope, my God, I hope. I'll only leave my cariri on the last pau de arara. Cariri is a section of the Sertão, which extends across state borders throughout the Northeast. Once again, this song highlights the precarity of life in the Sertão. If there's rain, all is well. If not, it's dire. And the protagonist doesn't want to leave, but circumstances may dictate that he must. So he's resolved to stay as long as possible to only get on the very last Pau Gerara. There's another irony here, because the performers are from the city of Recife, not the Sertão. Of course, they might be the children of people from the Sertão. They may have grown up visiting uncles and aunts and grandparents there. Oh yeah, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> I thought I heard about that from someone. <laughs> anyway... Before we talk about the second verse, it's worth noting the form and rhythm and such. Yeah, I noticed that there are two singers this time and that they trade off. This is part of a long tradition that goes back to the Hapentisos poets and the violeros. We've seen it with Maracatu de Bacisoto, and nowadays it's something that has become an important part of this genre known as sertanejo. Maybe the most popular and most listened to genre in all of Brazil. Probably. Último Pau de Arara also has that repeated final couplet. Except here, we have the chorus of voices singing it. Exactly. And rhythmically, this is a baião. As we said, back in the 1950s, this genre was mostly known as baião. This song was recorded in 1956, by the way. Oh, okay. Let's listen to verse 2. Último Pau de Arara Enquanto minha vaquinha tiver o curio What's interesting here and different from Asa Branca is that life isn't all bad. Right. This thing, as long as my little cow has hidden bones and can still walk with a cowbell around its neck, I'm going to keep living here with God's help. Whoever leaves their native land won't find a place to stop elsewhere. The protagonist doesn't need much to be able to stick it out in the Sertão. The only mildly sinister part is the final line, which implies that the migrant can't find contentment elsewhere. This is more like the Luis Gonzaga angle. 
And it might also be informed by the duo's time in Rio. Who knows? It's possible. A little warning for those who might be thinking of leaving. Yeah. Speaking of which, the perspective here is from within the Northeast. So it's pretty fair to say that it offers something for people who are still there. Yeah. The market for these songs is broad and reaches people with a variety of experiences. So speaking of the huge number of migrants, listen to this. 10% da população do Ceará emigrou. 13% do Piauí. 15% da Bahia. 17% da That's the song Carcara, written by João do Valle and José Candido, and sung by Maria Bethânia. What you heard was a clip from the end of the song, in which Bethânia recites some statistics related to migration from the Northeast region to the Southeast. She says, In 1950, more than 2 million Northeasterners lived outside of their places of birth. 10% of the population of Ceará migrated. 13% of POE. More than 15% of Bahia. 17% of Alagoas. These numbers are pretty staggering. Yeah. In 1950, Brazil only had about 50 million people. So we're talking about 4% of the country having left their homes. If you're wondering why a popular song features a statistical rundown like this, let's explain. Let's. In the first half of the 1960s, Brazilian political groups were very polarized. As we've discussed, the agrarian economy in the Northeast was run on a sharecropping system with poor people living and working on the land of a handful of wealthy landowners. Mm. Left-wing activists and politicians agitated for land reform, including redistribution of these lands to the people that lived on and worked them. Meanwhile, right-wing politicians saw and characterized these reforms as communism. And in 1964, the Brazilian military, backed by the CIA, seized the presidency in a coup d'etat. This began a military dictatorship that lasted until 1985. Given the importance of rural life in the themes of these songs... And the importance of these songs in rural life... You would correctly expect that some of these issues would make their way into the music of the time. You would. So... In 1964, about eight months after the coup, a group of artists put together a stage production called Opinion, which served as a protest against the military government and a way to call attention to these issues. Aren't you writing a book about Opinion? Am I? <laughs> yeah, I think I am. Anyway, uh, both this song's composer, João do Valle, and this performer, Maria Bethânia, were part of Opinion's cast. So the statistics were part of the play and were captured in the studio recording as well. Exactly. Though there is another song from Opinion that speaks even more explicitly to the theme of migration. Oh, great. Let's listen to João do Valle sing his song Sina de Caboclo. That title translates to The Fate of the Caboclo. We talked about the various meanings of caboclo in episode 10, but in this case, caboclo seems to mean a person from the sertão. Eu sou um pobre caboclo Ganho a vida na enxada Porque o colho é dividido Com quem plantou nada 
assim continuar Vou deixar o meu sertão Mesmo os olhos cheios d'água E com dor no coração Vou pro rio carrega massa Os pedreiros em construção Deus até Tá ajudando, tá chovendo no sertão, mas plantar pra dividir, não faço mais isso não. Can we pause for a moment and talk about what he's saying? Sure. It starts, I'm a poor caboclo. I earn a living with my hoe. What I harvest is divided with those who don't plant anything. This is exactly that sharecropping situation that we talked about earlier. He's bemoaning the injustice of the system. Completely. Uh, here comes the migration story. If it continues like this, I'm going to leave my sertão with tears in my eyes and pain in my heart. I'll go to Rio to carry cement for the builders there. In this case, the reason for leaving the Sertão is not drought, but the unjust life that the sociopolitical system has left for him. He continues, God is even helping. It's raining in the Sertão, but plant just to share, I won't do this anymore. Yeah. This is the line where the song becomes a statement of protest. A line in the sand, if you will. And this is not far off um, from João de Valle's actual story. He did, in fact, leave the Sertão to go to the city, first to São Luís, which is the capital of his native Maranhão, then to Salvador Bahia, a larger city nearby, and eventually to Rio, where he did work as a mason's assistant, even as he was starting to work as a composer. After the military coup, he told these stories on stage in Opinion. If there's a sense of saudade in this song, it's not wistful or hopeful. It's defiant and challenging. Totally. And it's interesting that this isn't even a forró. Right. Jean de Valle wrote lots of shachis and baiões and things, but this song is, well, maybe it's a toada? Maybe. Opinion was probably the first musical protest of this period, but it certainly wasn't the last. The show was something of an inflection point in the birth of a new genre, one that we've talked about before, called MPB. MPB, or MPB, stands for Música Popular Brasileira. It's a genre that tends to combine Brazilian genres with elements associated with the popular music industry. In the mid-1960s, it was frequently characterized by the social and political commentary of its lyrics. The genre spread throughout Brazil in part due to a series of televised song competition called Festivais da MPB, or MPB Festivals. As it happens, one of the first place songs from the 1966 festival was another example of a song of migration, Disparada by Geraldo Vandré. Eu 
Geraldo Vandré is from the state of Paraíba, just to the north of Pernambuco. He moved to Rio as a teenager in 1957 to go to college, and while he was there, he became a member of one of the political groups that was agitating for things like agrarian reform. He became a composer and recording artist during these years, and his songs of that time tend toward political and social commentary. This is the live performance from the 1966 festival, where it was sung by Jair Rodrigues, a singer and television star of the time. Jair Rodrigues was not from the Northeast himself, but this performance has some other regional markers. The primary accompaniment comes from the viola caipira, a guitar-like instrument that is common in rural areas. And the percussion is provided by the shaker known as cachichi and a dry donkey's jawbone, which the percussionist strikes, creating a sharp rattle reminiscent of a horse rip. The song has two sections. The first is slow and rubato, while the second is up-tempo. And while it's hard to hear in this recording, it seems to have the characteristics of a bayou. <laughs> It's sung from the first-person perspective of a cowherder. He sings, Prepare your heart for the things I'm going to tell you. I come from there, in the Zertão. Like João Duvali's song, there is mention of destiny and fate and a resistance to the status quo. He says, In the herd I used to be just another bull, but one day I mounted the horse, not for my own reasons, but by necessity. The combination of first-person testimony and metaphor is really powerful. It's a mixed metaphor, but, but not in a bad way. He starts as an animal in the herd and then becomes self-actualized. The move that the character in the song makes is an example for people who find themselves in a situation of oppression. He's both talking about and giving an example of what the theorist Paulo Freire would call conscientization, which is when people become aware of the oppression they're suffering and actively work to remove themselves from it. This character is telling their own story and giving an example of how they began to overcome these circumstances. And by calling the song disparada or stampede, it becomes a call to action. Because one person alone can't be a stampede. It requires all of the bulls in the herd to mount their own horses, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, the lyrics are confusing, <laughs> but I, they kind of make sense if you think them through. Yeah, and the chorus helps. But the world kept turning under the hoofs of my horse. And since I mounted it, now I'm a horseman, my strong arm on the reins in a kingdom with no king. <laughs> In 
In the 1970s, these themes continued to be an important part of both MPB, MPB and Forho, though protest lyrics often had to be softened or obscured due to the increased scrutiny of government censors. At the same time, the genre of Forho finally coalesced under that name. The genre would continue to use the zabumba, triangle, and accordion as its primary instruments, though many ensembles began to incorporate instruments like drum set and electric bass, uh, perhaps owing to the genre's interactions with MIPB. All of these rhythms we've highlighted in the last few episodes continued to be part of the genre, though a new one also emerged. And, confusingly enough, this rhythm is also called forho. So, just to be clear, in the early part of the 20th century, the word forho meant the party where this music was played? Yes. Then it was an umbrella term for a number of dance rhythms played by this ensemble? Yep. And somewhere along the way, it came to mean a specific rhythm? Exactly. So, okay, <laughs> let's talk about how that rhythm works and listen to it in context. Sounds good. Well, you might remember the bayang from last episode. Yes, it's that asymmetrical rhythm we talked about earlier, a muted stroke followed by an open stroke. Exactly. Well, forho is the same rhythm with the muted and open strokes swapped. Wow, it would be very easy to confuse <laughs> that for a bayang. Very, yeah. So one of the most iconic examples of a song with this forho rhythm is the song Feira de Mangayu, written by Gloria Gadelia and Sivuka. Here's Clara Nunes' 1978 recording of the song, which is probably the best-known version. Try to listen for that interpolation of the bayon rhythm. Just in that short introduction, you can hear that this is forho. We have the typical ensemble augmented by the prominent bass guitar. This is pretty typical of what happened to the ensemble in the 1970s. And I could hear that rhythm that we discussed, the interpolation of the bayon. It's both in the zabumba and then later in the bass guitar. This song is in a minor tonality. That's not something we've highlighted very much in the series, but there are examples including Uchmu Paujarada, which we heard earlier. Yeah. Now, let's check out the lyrics. As always, the title tells us a lot. Hmm. Feira de Mangayu means something like street vendor market. Mangayu is the person with the cart of goods. What we would call secos e molhados in Portuguese. Yeah, dry and wet goods. So food, but also clothing, other things. She starts by listing rolling tobacco and ox yolks, but then talks about corn cakes, coconut candy, peanut brittle, and spices like rosemary and cinnamon. All of the things that you would encounter at one of the fairs of the Northeast. Yes, all of the larger towns have these. Farmers and artisans sell their wares. And people who live further away might travel occasionally to stock up on some product or another. 
These markets are also common in other parts of Brazil. In Rio, the very famous Feira de São Cristóvão is specifically organized around northeastern products and foods. Oh, really? Yeah, the actual official name is the Centro Luiz Gonzaga de Tradições Nordestinas. Oh, the Luiz Gonzaga Center of Northeastern Traditions. I, I've actually never heard it called that, but it makes sense, right? <laughs> uh, they also have a performance space where you can hear mostly Northeastern performers. Oh, that's awesome. Well, another lyric in this verse reminds me of something we already mentioned. There is a street kid who the protagonist sends away to the bird fair. Ah, oh, where possibly he would encounter the macaws in their cages on their perches. Yeah, yeah, like the pauderada that we've discussed before. Right. Well, let's listen to verse 2. Once again, we have more secos e molhados. Horse colors, flower, candy. Some listeners might have heard the word canjeiro, meaning oil lamp. We talked about that in our Shashado episode. And there is a rendeira too. That's someone who does embroidery, probably following one of the traditional styles of the Northeast. But the end of this verse is super interesting to me. Okay. The scene being set here is one of bustling commerce, but it's not easy. It's hard work. And just as the protagonist is losing their motivation to be here, they hear an accordion player on the street corner with their bellows snorting and creating a dance party. Yeah, it's a lovely image and it really shows the importance that music plays in signifying Northeastern identity here. Yeah, and of course, one of the song's composers, Sivuka, is a master accordionist. So that could explain the connection here, but I think we've shown that this music has that effect. You know, we've lost a little bit of that saudade for the sertão here. In fact, the Northeast is never officially mentioned. No, this is more subtle. It's building on decades of history of Fajó. Northeasterners would recognize the portrait of their home. As presumably with the displaced people who still frequent these kinds of markets to get the ingredients they need to make Northeastern dishes. Yeah, definitely. You know, I can bring you to some good Brazilian markets when you visit Massachusetts, if you're, if you're missing anything. <laughs> okay, it's a deal. See you next month. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the major themes of many of these songs, going back all the way to Asa Branca, is, well, going back. <laughs> right. The protagonist in that song promises he'll go back to his Rosinha. Yep. I also remember that João do Vale, who wrote Carcará and Sina de Caboclo, always talked about wanting to retire to his home in Maranhão. Did he? He did. I actually really want to visit his hometown, as well as many other places in the region. I can show you some good Brazilian markets when you do. 
<laughs> okay, okay. I see what you're doing. But be careful because I'm going to say yes. Well, good. That's good. <laughs> well, anyway, Gonzaga actually wrote a follow-up to Azabranca that tells the story of going back. Just for variety's sake, let's listen to a recording of A Volta da Azabranca, or The Return of the White-Winged Dove, by the singer Maria da Paix. Já faz três noites que pro norte relampeia E a asa branca vindo ronco do trovão Já bateu asas e voltou pro meu sertão Ai, ai, eu vou embora, vou cuidar da plantação Já bateu asas e voltou pro meu sertão Ai, ai, eu vou embora, vou cuidar da plantação So this is not a baião. No. It's an example of the dance rhythm called Ahastapé that we discussed in episode 9. And this version adopts basically the same instrumentation as the Clara Nuni song we heard with the accordion triangles, a bumba, and bass guitar. It sounds like there's an agogo or a coquinho in there, too. Each stanza of the song has that repeated final line that we noted earlier. Yes, and we're back to the Mixolydian mode. The lyrics tell the story of the dove who, hearing the thunder in the northeast, goes flying back. It's safe to do so because the drought is over. The protagonist then says, The drought made me desert my land, but fortunately God has now remembered to send rain to this suffering sertão, a sertão of serious women and working men. It's interesting because unlike Luis Gonzaga, Maria da Paz sings the word plantação with the L sound while Gonzaga emphasized a rural pronunciation, singing Prantação. Ai, ai, eu vou me embora, vou cuidar da what do you think about this? Is this a, quote, correction of the original lyric? Or is Dapais just opting to sing it in her way rather than putting on the accent that Gonzaga used in the original? I think, well, I hope it's the latter. I don't think she's correcting anything so much as singing it in her way. She's from Pernambuco, but a totally different generation. Oh, that makes sense. And she maintains other Northeasternisms from the lyrics, such as Deus agora se alembrou. Mas felizmente Deus agora se alembrou. Ah, right. That means God has now remembered, but typically, or in other parts of Brazil, you would say Deus agora se lembrou. Yeah, adding a to the beginning of the word is very common in the Northeast. I noticed that she also says das mulheres séria and dos homens trabalhador instead of das mulheres sérias and dos homens trabalhadores. Yes, for those taking Portuguese classes, you probably clocked this as an error, but it's just the way that we talk. Yeah, it's very common to have the article be plural while the noun itself isn't. It's not a mistake. Yeah. Anyhow, the rivers and waterfalls are runny with water. The earth is wet and the forests are green. And of course, the protagonist returns to Rosinha, who has dutifully waited for him. Hmm. They'll be married at the end of the year. It's a happy story, I guess. <laughs> but the power dynamics are a little out of whack. <laughs> totally. It's something that I often think about when we have these canonical songs. They sometimes teach us about how to behave, whether as part of gendered norms, gendered roles, or in many other ways. And the lessons don't always line up with the ways that we might prefer to see or be in the world. And if we're arguing that many of these songs are made to create possibilities of identification for Northeasterners, whether in the Northeast or displaced through migration, 
or even the children and grandchildren of Northeasterners who grew up in Rio or São Paulo, but dancing for ho and eating conjica. If songs do that, then they do other things as well. Definitely. But even though this song, which was written in 1950, and actually all of the songs we've heard today, are part of the repertory, there are younger generations of fojozeiros, some from the northeast and some from the southeast and other places, that have carried these traditions forward. But not always without controversy and complaint. Nope. So, to wrap up our foja series for now, we're going to do one more episode on a phenomenon called foja universitario, or university foja. This is a style that emerged primarily in Sao Paulo in the 1990s. It's a style that helps us think about the roles of tradition and innovation, as well as issues of authenticity and appropriation in Fajal. So if you aren't caught up, listen to the rest of the series and get ready for one more episode on Fajal <laughs> for now. I'm looking forward to diving in. Me too. Es fue masa. <laughs> Massa is written, produced, and edited by Skylar Weldon and me, Juliana Cantarelli-Vita. For episode transcripts and links to further reading, please visit our website, esifoimassa.com. That's E-S-S-E-F-O-I-M-A-S-S-A dot com. You can email us at esifoimassa at gmail.com. Follow us at esifoimassa on Instagram and Twitter. Our intro music is by Sonda Massa and our outro music is by Sammy Bananas. Please join us in two weeks as we wrap up our Fajal series with a discussion of Fajal Universitario. Until then, es fue masa. which some might interpret as a character caricature which some might interpret as a character caricature 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 which some might interpret as character caricature 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 at 12 8 it's compound meter see